those guards get up those ladders, I'm, I'm in, in trouble. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Indiana Jones Universe, the podcast that explores the expanded universe of Indiana Jones as we discuss the Young Indy television series, the Further Adventures comic books, the Staff of Kings and Emperor's Tomb video games, and so much more. As always, I'm Will. And I'm Max. And thanks for joining us for episode 57, in which today we are going to review the final level of the video game Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings with part 6, Odin. Uh, in this level, Indy sneaks aboard Magnus Voller's Zeppelin and encounters various fistfights along the way as he races to save Maggie. Uh, later, Indy comes head-to-head -head with Magnus Voller himself in a seabed chase as Indy tries to get the staff and avoid the parting of the seas. So in this final episode, with lots of climactic action, we have tons to talk about in today's podcast episode. So without further ado, let's jump into this one, shall we? Yes, we shall. And starting off uh, at the end of last episode's Nepal, uh, Indy actually jumps off the waterfall and falls on top of a zeppelin, and that is where we start off right from here, Odin. Which unfortunately, and maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing, but unfortunately for us, this is the last level of Staff of Kings, so the kind of all final kind of boss kind of fight thing. And that is very apparent, as you'll see shortly when we get in here. Indy actually climbs down into the Zeppelin, starting off here. And uh, soon, you see all this beautiful, you know, kind of like industrial stuff in there. Very beautiful uh, concept art. But things take a strange turn when Indy decides he's going to use uh, a crane with a grand piano hooked onto it. Yeah, this level uh, takes an interesting turn right from the start. Uh, yeah, definitely good to mention as well that we're coming from Nepal, right? Which was when Indy had that sort of uh, waterfall, like he was in that rowing boat and going through that waterfall. You had that level where you had to like shoot the uh, icicles coming down. And then uh, in the style of Temple of Doom, uh, he falls off the waterfall, but instead falls flat onto Magnus Voller's uh, Zeppelin here. And how about a great, interesting choice of location here? I like how we're actually aboard this Zeppelin, uh, except for the sort of last area when it's on this sort of beach here. Um, but I really, really like how we kind of have this new environment, like you said, this sort of industrial, old sort of World War II style Zeppelin and blimp that we have here. And the first level really starts off kind of on an interesting note. He climbs down that ladder and someone, I don't know who, <laughs> Someone from the creative producing team decided that they needed some sort of action level and have Indy uh, being a construction worker here instead of an archaeologist taking control of this huge industrial crane that is somehow attached to a Steinway grand piano and uses it to knock over all of Magnus's guards and henchmen. I mean, what were they thinking on this one just right off the bat? Yes, I have no idea. Now, uh, I think it would do a bit more than knocking out the guards, more like a, a nice Steinway falling on them and smashing them to pieces. 
Um, yeah, it's just anyway. so odd. <laughs> like, I, I'm just, I, I always envision, like, every time I play this level, I just kind of envision, you know, like, them kind of figuring out what to do for the level. Because one of the other things that we'll talk about in terms of maybe, like, a little bit of a criticism for Odin is that it's so short. And you can kind of tell that they were running out of ideas at this point, because the entire level is basically fights. And so you really don't have a lot to do there. I mean, in terms of the actual game mechanics, there's a lot to create there. But in terms of the story, you know, for, like, exploration or cutscenes, there really isn't a lot of that. It's just kind of you go off and put all of the stuff that you've learned in the game together. It's kind of interesting to think about, like, you know, they were probably looking for something to open to the level, and they were like, yeah, what do you have for us today, Bob? And it's like, all right, well, why don't we open up here with a interesting scene in this industrial, you know, sort of area. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe, you know, well, India will take control of this crane here, and we'll use it as kind of a, a fun way to knock out some guards. Hmm, interesting idea, Bob. You know, what do you want to have attached to it? How about a Steinway piano? Just throw it on there. <laughs> uh, India will go to yeah. town, knock over people like nobody's business. I don't know, it's just funny, because it definitely is something Indy would do in terms of using his environment, but it's just such an odd way to open the uh, level here. And there's definitely lots of different strategies you can use here. I usually tend to uh, actually uh, move it side to side, because in that way you avoid uh, the actual guards who come out of these two side doors in the back uh, getting up the ladders. But you can also uh, crash with the piano uh, the actual controls for them to get up to the upper level, which if they get up there, there's, I think, like a, a pistol up there or something, and they can actually shoot you, and you actually would die in that part of the level and have to restart. Yes, I believe so. And, you know, something I didn't exactly understand is why is there, like, that pit in the middle? Now, I get maybe you can knock guys into there, but, like, what's kind of the point of it? It's only open for a few seconds. Right, yeah, and it's kind of interesting as well how, like, all the guards come in from the other side, because Indy clearly got in from the door that was right there and pilots the crane. We see him come down the ladder, and yet all of the guards come from the other side, so I guess you could say that's, like, a little continuity error, but it's kind of funny to see, you know, because all the guards come in one at a time, and you have to move really quickly. That's the thing you have to consider about this piano thing. Like, you have to do it very quickly, and there's that, you see that little green arrow uh, above the actual control panel, which if you take the piano and just smash it on that, <laughs> all the uh, controls will go down. And speaking of the piano, by the way, I thought it would have been funny if when the piano actually smashes the guards and the control board, that they actually used like a, uh, a sound effect of like all the chords just smashing together on the keys. I thought that would have been pretty funny, which they didn't yes. do, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And, you know, going back to this continuity error, I don't think it's a continuity error, actually, because think about it. If Indy landed on top of the blimp at the end of the last episode, how is he going to get down into it? He's going to climb down from, an, from, you know, an entrance on the top as where the guards are already inside the blimp. Oh, yeah, that's actually a great point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because true, he is, he does land on the top of the blimp, so there's no way he could have climbed down that thing. I mean, unless he, you know, used uh, some of his lessons from Attack of the Hawkman and just decided <laughs> to figure something out there. But yeah, he must have gotten on from the top there, which I think would make sense then, yeah, because then you could obviously get all the guards coming in. And yeah, so this is one of many sort of like, uh, I guess we wouldn't call it a fist fight necessarily, but one of these sort of uh, battles that Indy goes through in this episode. And of course, that was the quote that we used today uh, as well, just because when, you know, when he's like, I'm in trouble if, you know, all those uh, guys get up the ladders. And uh, yeah, so I kind of like this sort of moving crane mechanism that we have. It's kind of fun as well. And uh, it is pretty hard to maneuver. It takes you a little bit to get through, but, and then, uh, yeah, you basically go through the rest of the Zeppelin and you get to kind of like the second battle here, which is this very long uh, gunfight that we have here, which starts off uh, where India is kind of hiding vertically behind various crates. 
Yes, definitely. He is hiding behind these crates. This is kind of the first big shootout that Indy has. Um, he has the shootout with these soldiers and you know he's kind of you know going around through all these crates and this we actually see that Indy is kind of in this bottom area of like the Zeppelin so you know because we have these like a little escape planes and these kind of you know uh rafters that he has to go through along with just the car it's kind of the big cargo area of the entire uh Zeppelin yeah, definitely. And I also like as well how this is definitely like, uh, there's a lot of movement for this gunfight here. And this is kind of like the ultimate gunfight that we see throughout the entire basically game. I mean, we've had a few ones starting off in the San Francisco Chinatown level, and then it actually kind of leads up to this big climactic one here at which you can actually go up and down. There's some ramps on the top of the sort of middle section of the Zeppelin in, like you said, the sort of cargo loading area, which again, really cool environment. You know, I like how you can kind of like see the sky outwards and then you have all these guards coming through in different areas. And um, yeah, there's this one element that, get in, that gets introduced here in terms of using your environment because that's one of the things you can do with, you know, the gunfights here. And there's this sort of gas that's in this like metal container. You see it also in the uh, big sort of, I guess you could call it the dining hall uh, with uh, all of uh, Magnus Fuller's henchmen and the guards, that big boss fight there. Uh, you can use it there as well, where you actually, if you shoot it, uh, or in this case, if you actually punch it and it actually goes off later, uh, it actually releases this gas and will um, actually kill all of the guards that are there. So that's kind of one of those environment things that you can use. But other than that, you have to be really clever about using the gun here. And I've always found that you really kind of have to uh, grab them right before they actually get behind cover. So you can see them running down the ramp. That's when you really have to get them. Yeah, that's the best time to get them because then they're not protected by anything. I mean, you, maybe it takes one or two hits behind the crate, but it's always one hit when they're running down and unprotected completely. Right, exactly. And there's also this element, too, of these sort of metal and wood crates. And you see that when you go up to the upper level deck and then you come back down as well. You can actually move side to side because there's those metal ones that, you know, are right there. And then they have some of the wooden ones that easily get broken down, too, because some of the guys have machine guns down there as well. So, uh, yeah, I really kind of like this, you know, kind of gunfight. It's kind of fun. I mean, it is kind of repetitive, especially like when you play this game and the fact that it's so short, which we'll talk about as well a little bit later. Uh, it is a little bit repetitive, but I thought, you know, for kind of the end sort of battle here in the game, I thought it wasn't bad. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I mean, that it's, this is definitely better than, you know, some of the other shootouts we've had because, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly what level it was, but there was a level that I said there was, it was a little too heavy on the shootouts because the shootouts were kind of boring. This, completely different in my opinion because it's so, you know, intricate and Indy moves all around this entire area. It's a big boss shootout. Yeah, and especially we have to also talk about the fact that your health doesn't replenish in this at all. Uh, same goes for the actual boss fight as well. You don't get to a checkpoint until after when you actually get Maggie there. So you really just kind of have to rely on your wits here. And, you know, obviously he has the six-round pistol that Indy's using, you know, uh, going old school, as Indy likes to say. And, uh, you know, so you kind of have this idea that you really have to be strategic about what you're doing here. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really kind of cool, you know, fun part of the, the level. You go up and down. There's that other side as well that you get to. And then it transitioned into this minor cutscene that uh, really brings back some memories from Attack of the Hawkmen as Indy climbs on this plane, falls down at almost, and catches himself one-handed as you have to fight these two guards with just one hand. That was pretty tricky. Yes, that was. I really liked that kind of scene there. It was very, very interesting. You know, he's hanging on by a thread, and yes, definitely Attack of the Hawkman vibes, uh, much so there. I really liked that because, you know, it kind of is like, I wonder if they actually based off Attack of the Hawkman, possibly. 
Yeah, I doubt it, but I do kind of see what you're saying, kind of the aerial environment there, and especially the fact that it is kind of similar what happens in that scene uh, where he's trying to fix the wheels, um, where he literally almost falls off and is hanging by a thread there. So maybe I'm not sure if that was just kind of a cool stunt that they added in there, but it certainly reminded me of that. So maybe it was their subtle way of referencing Hawkman. I mean, heck, they use a ton of the music from the young Indiana Jones show in this game as well. So certainly could be their homage to that as well, especially considering, you know, so many scenes are just really thrown into this game from the traditional movies. We've talked about so many instances of them, and there's even one that we'll spot here as well towards when we get uh, toward the end of the level here. Um, and yeah, so after this second battle, we transition into the small scene in which Indy kind of explores the actual blimp uh, just barely. And frankly, in terms of like extending the length of this level, I would have loved to explore this really cool looking Zeppelin a whole lot more. There really wasn't any of that at all. Yes, I definitely agree. There could have been a bit more exploration of the Zeppelin. Now, I do have to say in the shootout, there is exploration per se. Like he goes from one side to the other. But I don't consider that exploration. The only kind of time that he does this, explores the Zeppelin, quote-unquote, is when he uh, climbs down out of the uh, room where he's doing the shootout and kind of whips across this area into the dining room area where he finds Maggie is caged up. Yeah, and that part, I think, was kind of the one section where you were like, oh, I wish they would have really extended that a little bit more, especially that sort of Zeppelin environment that was really fun. And yeah, this is definitely an indie moment as he goes outside. And I like as well how he drops down and uh, does that sort of whip feature in which you actually uh, kind of kick through something. In this case, a huge glass window. And he finds Maggie in there. And this is the start of the sort of, I guess you could say boss fight, but there's really not a boss in here. I guess you could consider Magnus the actual boss towards the end of the level. But there are two kind of like big tough guys at the end after you feed all of these guards here. And this certainly is putting everything together. And first off, why don't we just talk about the actual room? Because there is just so much going on here. You have this really cool sort of old style, what seems to be like the dining room here. You've got chairs, you've got, uh, you know, all sorts of cool artifacts on the wall. There's a huge fish tank over there. And uh, these certainly aren't just for decoration, as Indy puts them to good use real fast. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of one of the indie characteristics from Stephen King's indie puts his environment to good use, as we like to say. Uh, for starters, he decides he's going to use a painting and put it to good use as he smashes it over one of the guards' heads. He also decides he's going to use that guard's lead pipe to uh, whack some sense into them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. And it's funny we keep mentioning this because I think when we reviewed the first level of this, Sudan, when we actually were talking about the kind of introductory sort of combat level, I think I mentioned that the sort of use of environments and sort of indie, you know, putting uh, his surroundings to good use was a very sort of indie characteristic thing. I'm actually not going to go on that sort of uh, idea here because they use it so much into the game where this definitely is kind of one of the things that I think defines Staff of Kings more than it does in the actual movies itself. I mean, Indy goes to town here. I mean, you can use this huge fish tank, which is hilarious. We saw this a little bit earlier in a different level. Uh, I think that was San Francisco Chinatown, yeah, in the, in the Lao Che Lounge, supposedly, uh, which is kind of cool. And for this level, you really have to start out by getting a bunch of the guards at one time. Because I think the room starts out with maybe five or six, if I'm remembering correctly, and then yeah. more guards as you defeat one, they actually come through those side doors there and just spawn on you, like, randomly. And the guards themselves can actually pick up these chairs, the plates, you know, whatever the case may be, all these sort of poles and stuff lying around. So you really have to get them right from the start. And the fish tank and the grappling feature is one of my favorites. It's really fun. 
Yes, I do love the fish tank feature, especially when they smash the guy into the statue. Um, and, you know, I would... The fish tank is just like, if you were to smash a guy into that, that's like, that's like, you one, you're cracking a fish tank, which is pretty thick glass, mind you. And secondly, a bunch of water and whatever live animals in there is going on this guy, so uh, I don't think he's going to survive very long. <laughs> yeah, there was some interesting sort of just maybe realistic ideas that were going on here. Uh, especially as well, the one that's really cool that we also saw in San Francisco Chinatown was uh, when Indy actually jumps up on the pole, and you actually have to be in the the right place at the right time because the game won't actually tell you to do that if you jump up you can actually pull the pipe down um indy has obviously very strong just pulls the whole thing down and then you can use that to also whack some sense into the enemies as well um so that's another one and then we talked about the gas leak from the shootout that actually goes on automatically here and for that actually you'll notice it actually comes through the vents and you have to be in the vent uh and you have to move around actually with the gas leak i realized this kind of like Pretty recently, actually, because it kept happening and I kept, like, dying. And I was like, what's going on? Uh, the gas actually keeps moving. And uh, so you have to move throughout the actual room. And even for just defeating the enemies in general, you have to be moving constantly. You can't just stay in one place because they all just kind of gang up on you and, you know, use all the chairs or whatever the case may be. So it's certainly fun one, though, and pretty difficult. Yes, definitely agreed. And you know, something I meant I would like to mention is uh once Indy defeats one of the mini bosses, I guess in this, uh you know, there's two kind of tough guys. Uh the the tough guy drops basically I don't know if it's a pipe, but to me it looks like a club and he just clubs the other guy. Like and he takes like 3 fourths of his of his health away with one hit, which I pretty find really funny. Yeah, and you talk about the health there too because the health for not only Indy himself in that entire huge boss fight um, actually uh, isn't replenished at all. And the same goes actually for the guards themselves. You'll notice that uh, actually uh, grappling the guy into the fish tank uh, doesn't actually defeat the enemy. Uh, he actually has like a tiny like sliver of a centimeter on his health bar right above. So that also adds to the suspense of, of sort of this level as well. Um, and I do like as well, another kind of fun part that didn't make it challenging is, uh, I think I mentioned this, but the guards can actually pick up stuff themselves and they will throw it at Indy. So whether you're actually engaging with an enemy or not, doesn't actually coincide with whether the un other enemies will actually come and gang up on you as well. So you can have someone from the other side of the room throw one of the wrenches or whatever the case may be. And yeah, so moving into sort of the next section here, uh, Indy finally um, gets Maggie, uh, who was, you know, obviously captured in that room there. And we have this very interesting cutscene as Indy and Maggie sneak in and see Magnus Voller with the staff and Kingston himself. Once he helps Maggie escape, they're kind of in this area, like a kind of bridge area next to these books. I don't know if it's like a library or kind of just an area to this kind of little main area in the middle of the blimp, it looks like, where uh, Magnus is talking to Charles or Kingston uh, about how Indy is practically, uh, you know, they're telling, he's like, your friend Indy is dead. And then uh, Indy uh, makes a noise and one of the guards uh, tells Magnus and he's like, goodbye, Indiana Jones. And as he's about to shoot uh, Indy, something happens. Yeah, Kingston takes a bullet for Indy and talk about some uh, story development right there. That quickly turns as we see, you know, uh, go up to Kingston and he's just like, the staff. And then that's it. And we see Magnus point his pistol at Indy and he's, how touching. 
and then we realize he's out of bullets, and you really kind of see how villainous Magnus is here. Especially one of the quotes that I really like is uh, to kind of show this sort of evil doer that he has is, what I do, I do for the glory of Germany. Again, this idea of lust for power versus archaeology, probably the most uh, reoccurring theme in all of the villains that Indy ever faces is just their lust for power. And we see it here as Kingston tries to preserve the history. He doesn't want, you know, Magnus to actually take the staff for himself. It belongs in the museum, you know? Uh, that couldn't be more true with the Staff of Kings here. Yes, and, you know, Magnus reminds me so much of Belloc. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. They kind of, to me, are almost the same person because they both are working for Germany. They both have no interest in preserving Indy, even though they were originally at one point friends. Um, and so it's kind of like, it's kind of almost like, uh, it's like Magnus is like Belloc's younger brother or something along those lines. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, we've talked about the comparisons to Magnus and Belloc before, and especially here, I feel like they're so apparent. Because yet again, one of the things that I think defines Raiders so much is there's no physical confrontation between Belloc and Indy. And the same goes for Magnus here. I mean, sure, we have a motorcycle chase, but I wouldn't really count that as an actual battle. I mean, in that case, you could say that the uh, truck chase, uh, you know, the desert chase sequence in Raiders would be the f fight between Belloc and Indy, which I wouldn't really consider that a fight. So same kind of situation here in which they really don't kind of come head to head, right? We obviously see Indy kind of punch Magnus at the end there and actually grab the staff. And I personally like it. I think it's really fun to have someone who Indy knew at one point. There's this history that we don't know about. Kingston got involved in some way. And then what happened in terms of you know, Magnus's lust for power. Why did he want that? And, you know, Archie Tan asked about that at the end of the San Francisco Chinatown level. Indy was saying, you know, how he started selling things to the black market, so on and so forth, and really didn't preserve the history of archaeology. And so, yeah, I kind of like how this transitions into this uh, awesome final fight here, uh, the seabed chase. Yes, the seabed chase. Very interesting. As Indy, I, I believe Indy and Magnus are below the blimp as it's kind of going through these waters that are kind of surrounding them. Indy has to avoid all these obstacles and it's kind of really, really cool as he uh, kind of has to start shooting these guys that are going behind him and the bomb starts dropping, uh, or no, the Zeppelin starts dropping bombs on him. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, what did you actually think of this final battle, just like looking at it just kind of like your first impressions? Because one of the things that I've always thought about is, first of all, it's kind of interesting that the actual seabed chase takes place kind of in sort of the, I guess, sort of environment of the staff, if that makes sense. Because in these other, you know, sort of, for example, Raiders, we see kind of the actual power of the actual Ark of the Covenant itself and what it does to Belloc and Tote and Dietrich and everyone else. And here, Indy is like right in it. You know, there's this huge seabed chase with these waves and uh, the, the graphics are a little bit unrealistic if I'm being quite honest. Uh, they're not the best graphics ever. And so um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, what did you think of this sort of battle scene here? The seabed chase, I like it. I especially like when uh, Indy and uh, Magnus kind of go over this ledge area. Again, you gotta remember, Indy is riding with Maggie in the sidecar, so, you know, Indy has a bigger bike than Magnus, and at one po at a couple points, he almost falls off because I can't tell if they're on a bridge, and Magnus says this hilarious quote, he's like, why won't you just die? You know, you could tell Magnus is kind of getting pissed. Yeah, he's getting real feisty, and, you know, you talked about it right there, 
sort of this idea that we have this motorcycle chase, which is a huge throwback to Last Crusade, especially the fact that there's the sidecar there. Uh, of course, not as funny as seeing Sean Connery in the sidecar in this situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you have Maggie in there, and uh, it's kind of interesting that we see kind of this reoccurring you know, theme of the, the environment, of the vehicles, which I really love. And yeah, if you veer off course and you actually, you know, just slightly step into the seabed, which obviously we see it kind of like forming these almost mini walls around Indy and Maggie. If you just veer off, that, that you die right there. So you have to go in a perfect straight line. We see the ramps there, which can actually get you uh, those um, uh, those secret artifacts, the fortune artifacts. Uh, you can, you know, accelerate on the ramp and, you know, uh, go to town full throttle, no brakes, and you can grab that, um, you know, little fortune artifact there. And then, of course, there's that steep ledge on the hill and then that huge drop-off back down to the beach, which I thought was really fun. And, you know, it really kind of puts you on the edge of your seat there. Yes, definitely. I really love, especially that ending fight over the staff that uh, Indy and Magnus do. My question to you is, do you like how Magnus kind of, you know, he kind of, he loses power once Indy gets the um, staff and Magnus just kind of goes fading into the distance? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, it almost feels way too anticlimactic. I mean, especially everything leading up to this chase. I mean, one of the things that I thought was really fun about the seabed chase was these kind of dual mechanics that they had going on here because you had to avoid this strobe light from the Zeppelin that was throwing down bombs on the actual beach with the seabed. And then you had to avoid another car with some of Germ uh, you know, some Germans back there and you had to shoot at them. So there were these two elements that you had to fend off, which made it really challenging and then all of a sudden it gets to this cutscene in which Indy just gives, you know, Magnus a right hook, grabs the staff, and that's the end. Like, if it was that easy, you should have finished the game at the first level. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just kind of like, oh, that was all it took? You know, especially we see Magnus is so far ahead of Indy. And, you know, I'm not really sure what was going on in, in the uh, on the sidecar there, you know, if they were able to gain some speed or whatever. But, yeah, it was just like kind of a random cutscene, especially since you didn't see it coming either, and it just stopped uh, the actual sort of level there and just transition of the cutscene. I thought it was a little bit awkward. You're right, it is very anticlimactic. And also I wanted to mention, Magnus says something which uh, even further alludes to uh, maybe him being very related to um, Belloc. He says, Jones, kind of like Belloc does. Even though the ending uh, when Magnus kind of fades off is a bit anticlimactic, what Indy does with the staff next is not. As he, as this Temple of Doom music is playing, he throws the staff into the ground, which kind of almost it restores the world to a natural order in a way, but also creates that big lightning before the skies clear up and the sea goes back to its original state. Yeah, I love this really cool element of the parting of the seas, uh, ignoring the a little bit um, bad graphics there. It <laughs> is a really cool concept. I love how, you know, finally as they go head to head and Indy's riding in the car, you know, he tries to smash him, then gives him that right hook, grabs the staff, Jones, and then he runs off and we see Indy and Maggie, you know, Maggie's like, come on, we got to get out of here. And Indy's like, I'm not doing anything grabs the staff with all his might and just 
charges it into the ground with that great sort of idea of parting of the seas, the true power of the staff of Moses. And we really kind of get a sense of what that is like. And I love the fact that that superstitious element reminds us of Raiders. And you talked about it right there also. The Temple of Doom music, I thought, was perfectly on point there. And I just think the artifact choice was so cool here, um, especially when you see the actual parting of the seas. It's really, really fun. And then we kind of get into this final last scene here with Indy and Maggie. Yes, uh, Maggie kind of uh, says that, that she's supposed to keep it out of dangerous hands. And Indy's like, well, you know, he's kind of saying, ooh, well, maybe I'm not so dangerous. Uh, the point is they're getting a bit romantic as the staff uh, quicks, takes a quick turn and turns into a snake. Yeah, I like that there, actually. And there's a hilarious quote, by the way, that Indy says, you know, I think, yeah, you mentioned there, Maggie was like, I'm supposed to keep the staff away from unsavory types. Because do keep in mind, she is a British agent, and her point was to get the staff. And eventually she ends up working with Jones, and they both, well, they don't really get it in the end, but they both work together. And oh my god, John Armstrong on the delivery here of Indy's <laughs> line... It's a little late for that, don't you think? And, oh my god, you talked about sort of the, you know, romantic sort of idea that's going on there. And I love how he says that, and sort of, they lean in together. And then finally, the staff turns into a snake, which, two things I wanted to mention there. First off, I love how Indy kind of shouts right there, because obviously he's yeah. afraid of snakes, and it just turns into it. And also, I like this idea, by the way, that I kind of wanted to bring up, and maybe you have some thoughts on this as well, that Indy doesn't actually get the fortune and glory. It doesn't get to the museum this time. And Indy says, it'll take care of itself. And I kind of like the element kind of showing this idea that the Staff of Kings is actually a natural part of history. Rather than being stowed in a glass case in a museum or put in a warehouse with a box, it actually is part of history. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, whether that was realistic or not, you know, with the actual staff turning into a snake itself after the parting of the seas. I'm not sure if that's historically accurate. I'm sure they did some research on that. But the fact that Indy doesn't actually come away with the actual staff, it, at least for me, really left me wanting for more. Like, it would have been one thing if they had the staff and they took it off and we see a transition to Barnett College, the museum, with Marcus Brody there. Oh, you got the staff, Indy, right off into the sunset. Great. Here, uh -huh. uh, it's like, let's take care of itself. And then we have that great musical cue of the bells from Marion's theme as we see Indy and Maggie walk off on this great, beautiful beach here. And that's it. They don't get the Staff of Kings. It's left as a natural part of history. Did you like that? Or did that kind of ruin sort of the fun artifact element of indie? It's a new twist on the indie adventure. I liked it. And I think even if they did that some more, it'd be great. Yeah, I think it was, it was such a cool element too, because you really weren't expecting it, you know? And I think that was the fun element of it. So... With that said, that concludes the final level of Staff of Kings, Part 6, Odin. Now, before we end off the episode, let's take a little bit of a look back at the game of Staff of Kings. Uh, certainly a fantastic underrated choice, but not necessarily the most popular game. Uh, now that we have finally finished one piece of content on the podcast here, being Staff of Kings, uh, let's give the game a full rating out of 10 points and describe some of the pros of the game and the cons of the game that maybe led to that specific rating and also your favorite level out of the six. You know, I probably have to give this a 7 or an 8 out of 10 because the concept art is amazing. The musical score is amazing. The combat and the controls and everything, amazing. Super easy to use. So you know what? I gotta give it to that as some of the best things that they could have done. 
Now, some of the things they could have done better is some of the levels are a bit anticlimactic. For example, the end of Odin here. Now, in my personal choice, my one of my favorite levels has got to be San Francisco, just because of, you know, the fight scenes, and especially Magnus Voller's kind of underground area where he's smashing the guys into fish tanks, there's that beautiful music, kind of, you know, again, especially the musical score, I gotta emphasize that, we, well, you know both of us love our musical scores, we do soundtrack reviews for everything, but, again, the musical score, the concept art, and the controls are the three main things that earn this a decent 7 or 8 out of 10. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I also am giving the game an 8 out of 10. And just to kind of echo what you were saying there, there are so many things, as an Indiana Jones fan, that you have to like about this game. And when you look past the actual game itself, the fact that it's only four hours long, which I believe is way shorter than Emperor's Tomb, if I'm remembering correctly, and certainly is shorter than Fate of Atlantis, uh, there's not really a lot to offer here. You know, the game had a very unsuccessful launch back in 2009. Uh, some people played it, some people didn't, and when people think of Indiana Jones games, it's Emperor's Tomb, it's Fate of Atlantis. It's not Staff of Kings. And when you really analyze it and break it down, which is what we wanted to do together on this podcast, you have to really understand that there is so much here that pays homage to the traditional Indiana Jones movies, the structure and style and tradition I just absolutely love about this game. The prologue in Sudan, the references to the minecart chase, the motorcycle chase, the planes, um, all of the environments and temples that Indy explores, the style and way in which you are reminded of the movies was on point absolutely fantastic. I love the game for giving us the tradition of the movies. We talk about Indiana Jones 5, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, how they have to live up to certain standards, and maybe how they didn't live up to certain standards. Staff of King should be the pinpoint game. If this was a movie, I think it would have been absolutely really, really successful in theaters as a movie. It has all the elements there. Now, as for some of the cons of the game as well, I would agree with you that I thought uh, some of the levels needed a little bit of work, especially the ending of Odin. Very anticlimactic. It really left me wanting more. I think the runtime on it is like 20 minutes or something crazy. There's like almost no sort of content in there when you really look at it. I mean, sure, it's a great way to end the level, but um, and the game as well, but I think they're just... The opportunity for this game, I feel like the ceiling was so high. And because of this game release and sort of the launch that it unfortunately suffered, I'm not exactly sure the behind-the-scenes details on that. I feel like there was just so much here that really could have been expanded on as well. Um, the graphics as well, I thought, were a little bit outdated. But again, it was 2009, so I'm sure they were good for that time period. Um, but yeah, overall, 8 out of 10. A few things that I think could have been reworked here in terms of the level, the graphics, the actual style. But overall, a fantastic underrated game. So that about concludes our review of the video game Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Uh, we hope all of you have enjoyed our review of this fantastic video game. Uh, we know there are lots of fans out there and hopefully you had uh, a fun time listening to us talk about uh, our first sort of piece of content that we finished here. Uh, but now that we have actually finished all six of the levels, uh, we are actually going to do two more episodes about Staff of Kings. Uh, we have two more planned ones that we're going to do now that we've finished the whole game. We can kind of go back and talk about a few things. Uh, we won't announce what those are right now. We'll leave a, uh, kind of some suspense to it. Uh, but if you uh, want to know what those are about a week or two in advance, make sure to follow us on Facebook because we will announce them there. Uh, and then finally, we are going to kick things off with a new video game series. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, our three main topics of discussion here are the Young Indie Television series, the comics, and the video games. So now that we've finished one, 
we are going to start our own brand new adventure. So that about concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and remember to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other podcast platforms. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about our podcast, be sure to check out our website at www.theindianajonesuniverse.com and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Once again, I'm Max. And I'm Will. And until next time, so, so long, long, Dr. Dr. Jones. Jones.